0: Welcome to Lamb Parties, episode 81 from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me as always my co-host Lucas Egan. Lucas, how was your week and how you been, my friend? Well, my weekend was good because, Ryan, we saw
1: each other in person, Yes, which is a yes! very rare occurrence these days. Doing some virtual reality at Area 15 out here in Las Vegas, uh, discovered some secrets to a temple and killed some zombies. So uh, what could get better than that? By the way, by the way, for the record for the entire audience, number one, Zombie killer, right here. If True. you guys need it, Thanks. just call me Doom Guy. That's that's my <laughs> that's gonna be my nickname <laughs> going forward. <laughs> How was your weekend, Ryan?
0: It was good. Uh, same. You know, that, what an experience. Um, yeah, that was absolutely amazing. Again, I hadn't done a lot of VR uh, before then, or or it's been years since I've done VR. So just to see how far it's really come, how immersive it really is. Uh, I had an absolute blast. Obviously, we're still on Baby Watch 2021. So we're expecting her to, to come here within the next week or so uh so we'll see how that goes everything we are planned ready to go and yeah other than that it, it, it's been good enough about us though uh our guests please welcome Gareth coker composer to so many so many amazing games we'll get into that
2: Gareth how have you been uh how's your weekend i'm doing good thanks uh yeah my weekend was pretty pretty solid i I spent way too much time watching the olympics it's kind of addictive watching things like every four years that you 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 pay attention to you don't sorry you don't pay attention to and then you're like oh why am i watching a horse dancing why am i watching these people (laughs) climb up a wall like spider-man um and, and then these incredible like feats of strength and speed. Um, yeah, so I've, I've been enjoying that um, over the weekend um, and being thoroughly unproductive, which is what the weekend's for, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I, I feel the same way, like half the time it's reminding me myself of the rules for some of these sports. And then by the time I actually get into it, then they're over again. I'm like, well, see everybody in, in four years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: I do enjoy the Olympics too because it is just seeing the best, of the best uh, come together. The sportsmanship, uh, everything about it—I I absolutely love the Olympics. Um, but again, before we we get in, we dig deep with Gareth. Uh, we've got a couple of topics that we wanted to discuss. Now, this shouldn't come to as a surprise to anybody, but we officially got the word that Forbidden West is going to be delayed until. Early 2022. Uh, Again, we've discussed this in past episodes that it seemed very unlikely for both this and God of War to come out number one in the same year, but uh, it it was pretty tight. We know that with everything that's been going on, uh, it really has delayed production uh, workflows. Uh, You know, it's a very unique time. So this isn't surprising. I was a little surprised about the fact that they're still talking about early 2022. I could see this even getting pushed back further. I was thinking probably like fall of 2022 and then maybe um, uh, uh, God of War comes out in 2023. But, uh, you know, as a fan, as somebody that's really looking forward to this game coming out, I personally am fine with this. Again, I I think we've learned a lot of lessons, especially recently in – You know, some companies coming out with a date and then they end up having a delay or they come out with a game and it ends up being unfinished and there's all kinds of problems. I have, you know, and I think they do a really good job of making sure, especially on such a a, a high level game, to make sure that when it ships, it is going to be 100 percent complete. There's not going to be any kind of craziness. So this is understandable. Uh, Again, as a fan, a little disappointing, but. This just makes 2022 even spicier in the gaming world. What are your thoughts, Lucas?
1: Yeah, you're right. Not surprising. And, you know, it makes uh, uh, next year even more stacked. I think I'm going to start a 2022 games fund to just yeah. try and prepare myself <laughs> for next year. Because there's going to be an assault on my wallet that I just, I just won't be able to handle. <laughs> I, uh, you know... I this is still obviously one of my most anticipated games. It looks fantastic. The first game was so amazing and awesome. I <laughs> it, it's going to be interesting because if Breath of the Wild 2 does in fact come out next year, uh I just hope that they're far enough apart. Like like I think my biggest uh regret with the first game is that it kind of got overshadowed. It felt like a little bit by Breath of the Wild since they both came out in in relatively short order so i hope Mm -hmm. that one comes out earlier and one comes out a little bit later just to give them both time to shine because they both look like great games but yeah next year is just going to be amazing and i can't wait but i'm also dreading it a little bit because i don't make enough money for this
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, and I I think that's going to be one of the challenges of next year as well. is just the fact that they're, you know, release dates wise. There's been so much that was pushed back uh, from this year that was supposed to be released. They already have games in the pipeline. They're going to be released next year. So I think that might also create its own challenges. It's just figuring out good release schedules. Uh, Maybe that shifts some other games because they don't want to compete with another game that's already scheduled to come out. So I I think it'll be interesting interesting but yeah this is this is one of my most highly anticipated games the first game is is absolutely amazing so you know I'm fine with them taking that breath and saying look we need more time it's not quite there yet we're gonna we're gonna take the time we're gonna push it back a little bit obviously the internet did what the internet did and and you know what I mean but I feel like people were relatively understanding and again I feel that this was kind of already anticipated. It would have been nice to have it this year, but with all the challenges with everything that's been going on and continues to go on, uh, I think it it definitely seems a lot more feasible to come out here in, in in early on 2022. So Yeah, totally agree with
1: that. And as as somebody that continues to struggle to jump into next gen, uh it it does relieve a little bit more pressure. I don't feel quite as as urgent uh to to jump in just yet, but Gareth, is this on your most anticipated list? Are you a Horizon fan?
2: So uh, I'm actually late to the Horizon party. I'm actually going through the first game pretty much right now when I have time. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm um, because I I primarily game on Xbox and PC um, (laughs) and uh, just it seems to be that Sony is making all of their games for PC anyway. So it's like worth waiting at this point if you're invested in that um, ecosystem. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm late to the party on Horizon, but of course, as you can imagine, it looks amazing on PC. Um, And uh, yeah, I saw I saw the that big reveal that they have. What was it like two months ago? Of like what you're showing on screen now, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, that looks pretty good. I think you know I'd I'd, uh, consider consider getting a PS5 for that um, if I can find one. Uh, So. So yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to it. And uh, and and speaking as someone who has been part of several delays in game development, um, Ori and the Will of the West was delayed three times before release. Mm. Um, obviously, everyone knows about Halo Infinite's uh, re- uh, delay, which is you know going to be over a year now. And just having seen the the technical preview that's come out this last weekend um, and the positive response to it, you know, it's worth it to get it right. On release day because you only have Mm -hmm. one chance to make a first impression and if that first impression isn't stellar you've killed your game like there are there are like a handful of examples no man's sky probably being the most notable um where the development team um kind of has you know turned things around um but Generally speaking, you want to get it right the first time. I'm going to provide a brilliant segue for you now because I know what your next topic is. And another game that did not, you know, wasn't, didn't really capture the imagination on release, and then was kind of re-released as a new thing was Fortnite. If you look into the history of how that game was made, um, mm-hmm. and it kind of reinvented itself and became the absolute phenomenon of what it is today. Look at that segue. Yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of Fortnite. <laughs> Thank you, Gareth. Yeah, a- absolutely. Speaking of Fortnite, uh, we found out recently that Ariana Grande is gonna be headlining uh their next uh big event, Rift Tour. And I absolutely love it again, and, and it's funny that you said that too, Gareth, because I was there, I remember playing the early axes of Fortnite and, and you know, before there's BR and stuff like that, and just their shift into that has completely changed the game. What else has changed the game is their ability to put on these live performances. They've now changed the gaming space from more than just playing video games, but being able to have the ability to just go in and be a virtual hangout place for people to put on concerts with these big stars. This is huge. Uh you know, again, I said I I don't really play anymore, but I'm probably going to go into this uh with my daughter cuz this is something that my daughter would enjoy. Just to be able to to have that experience and do that. And, and and I love the fact too that they are teaming up with these big name stars. So they are truly creating uh a, you know, a one of a kind experience and they don't go small on these things. These Things have been huge. We know they've done uh, Travis Scott. Um, There's been uh, I can't think of any of the other ones uh, off the top of my head, but this is going to be this is going to be awesome. I'm going to check it out Uh, again. I, I love the fact one of the biggest things for me is the fact that that Epic continues to innovate and push other people to then jump into these spaces, having events, uh, for example, Destiny 2, uh, they've had a couple of live events now, whereas before they had never done anything like that. So to continue pushing games uh, and, and going into the space more than just here's your set parameters as far as. Uh, with the game but now them inserting these live events and things like that i think it's so so cool um uh, again those those that are that are younger or have parents that that enjoy ariana grande i don't know what the rest of the lineup is um but this might be something that you want to check out so
1: yeah it's fun to see them redefine the rules and it's 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 just pretty cool to to see it happen right before eyes it's uh, I'm right there with you Ron. I don't actually play Fortnite very much, mainly because uh, I'm just not good at the the core gameplay at. I just I just <laughs> watch myself die fast. Like that's basically it. But stuff like this is is just awesome to see, and it makes you m- more excited for what the future of this industry can be because you're seeing them now reach beyond what has been traditionally the quote normal scope of what gaming can be. So like it's it's cool. and and, yeah. My goodness, just just looking forward to see what else they have in store going forward.
0: Yeah. Gareth, have you had the opportunity to check out any of these? And is this something that you've thought about, uh, you know, being able to do something like this virtually or something that you have done?
2: I think like the the potential for doing something like this is, as, as you guys have touched on, is, is incredibly unique. Um, like just being able to do a live performance in a virtual space. Uh, I mean, it, it gets beyond so many of the difficulties of putting on a live concert, like physically now putting mm. on a live concert, physically and having people physically be in the same space is a very, very unique thing, especially if you know how to put on a show, which is of course a science unto itself, but putting mm. on a show virtually you've, you've got unlimited things you can do with the lights and the presentation, um, which if you've seen the past Fortnite night events, I mean, they're absolutely nuts to watch um like there's just so many cool things going on but also instead of being in you know the biggest venue like for orchestral concerts here in LA is like the Hollywood Bowl which is 15,000 people well mm. that's great but how about you know 1.5 million watching on Fortnite you know you, right. you just can't it's just a completely different thing and I think we're going to see more of this and and I hope like that it's it's a way for people to be able to get their music out, whether it's pop or orchestral, you know, people have their favorite orchestral and classical soundtracks too. Um, it's a way for music to be heard by more people, which especially given that the pandemic has decimated the music industry is kind of what the music industry needs right now. Um, so um I've definitely, you know, thought about doing it myself, but it's like, I, I have, you also need the platform, you need a game, right. which like allows you to do that. And Fortnite is such a unique creation. And, and it, it provides a way for people to experience that. And I, I cannot begin to imagine the programming that it takes to be able to broadcast that to so many people. Um, not my problem. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it's like, it's a remarkable feat of engineering. And and I think what you're seeing with stuff like Fortnite and all of these various live events that are happening, we're just scratching the surface right now. Um, mm-hmm. And what, what I'd like to say to people, you know, is I don't think the gaming industry has reached its golden era yet. I think we're about to enter it. Um, you're like, you only have to look at the quality of games that are coming out right now and the quality of experiences that are available and the variety of experiences that are available. There is something for everyone. And the, I mean, the, the the quality is only going to get better and so the, the really the limitation now is only going to be one's imagination um and that extends to what can be done in the gaming space so i'm just happy that i'm able to be a part of it at this point and uh, you know if one of these opportunities comes up in the future i'll be i'll be ready to take it um, but you know, if, if not, um, there might be something else that I haven't even thought of yet and that no one else might've thought of yet that we'll, will catch on just who, who knows. Um, and that's kind of what's really exciting about it. And, uh, yeah, you only have to look at how well all the companies are doing Xbox, Sony, and Nintendo are all killing it in very, very different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much great for everyone. Who's a gamer.
0: Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. This is, it is going to be dope. And I am excited. You're right. We're just, we're only now starting to get into that, that spot. And there's no telling here, shoot, in the next five years, uh, how much the technology is going to advance and the innovation that's going to come and things like that. So again, Fortnite's Rift Tour, that is August 6th through the 8th. Headlining Ariana Grande. Uh, We're gonna take a quick commercial break, and then we coming back talking with Gareth and everything Gareth's doing. We'll be right back, guys. If you love listening to us here on Lamb Parties, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team or game, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to those short messages. And now comes the fun part of the show. And Gareth, I could start in any number of places. I'm going to start with Ori, though, because like those are two of my favorite games just period. They're so unique and so fun and so emotional. And if you could take us back to the beginning of that process, what interested you about that project? And with The Blind Forest, what was it like to kind of create the musical identity of the series?
2: It's funny you ask me that because you're asking me to go back a decade. Um, that's, like, <laughs> that's, like, that's like when I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, and if I'm being honest, I'm like at the beginning of your career, just like I need a job. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Thomas found me on a, on a website. Thomas is the director, Thomas Marler. Uh, he found me on a website called mod DB, which is a place where developers go to make mods for games. And, uh, I had a bunch of tracks up there and, uh, he liked one of them, which was for a student film I did while I was at USC. And, um, yeah, he liked it. It's a very simple piece of music, but he liked it because it had a melody and it was super ambient. And, uh, yeah, he was like, Do you, let me show you this game and are you interested in working on it? And at the time, it, lo- it was a very, very different looking version of Ori. It wasn't actually even called Ori back in the day. Okay. Um, and uh, I played it and I was like, this prototype is pretty good. I should work on this. And the deal was, I, you know, I would work on the prototype for, for free. And if the pitch to various developers was successful obviously Microsoft gave us the the best offer, uh, then I could score the game. And I was like, that seems like a pretty good deal to me, especially because like I have nothing on my resume. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. So um, obviously Microsoft bit and uh, yeah, then I ended up working on it. Um, But yeah, like, it's funny you're you're showing the video of the behind the scenes music right now, and I'm I, I'm like looking at it. I'm like, man, if only people knew how terrified I was for the whole <laughs> recording. Because, well, the thing is, you're you, like that was my first soundtrack that I was record first significant. I'd done a couple of like soundtracks like digitally beforehand, but this was my first time recording with an orchestra. And when someone puts that much trust in you, it does it. it like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that hiring an orchestra is very expensive because you're asking like you know, 50, 60 people to come together, play music for the first time. so that's one thing that a lot of people don't know, by the way, is that the vast majority of orchestral soundtracks that you hear for film, game, or television, whether they're recorded, the the players performing them have never seen the music before that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, So I can tell you right now that most of the music you hear in Ori is probably between take three or five with some additional like spot fixes, like that we, we, we record a whole take and then we go mm-hmm. back and fix like certain sections because you can kind of glue it together in post-production. Um, but yeah, think about that for a second. They've never seen the music before. And then even like the most difficult pieces on the soundtrack or the most impressive sounding ones, whatever that is, think about that for a second. And it, the musicians performing it, it was probably, you know, probably what you're hearing is the third or fourth time they ever played it. And then I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. We can move on. It's <laughs> um, so that, like a fun thing. I, I think that p- a lot of people don't know. Uh, I, the reason I mention it is because I actually just like this actually just came up on my Twitter account uh, yesterday. Someone asked, um, what is a thing about your job that people don't know or people just assume is very easy when in fact it's actually very hard and complicated. And that was like one of the things that came up. I was like, yeah, even in films, like whether it's, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings or like these very high budget films, it's the same. The orchestra doesn't rehearse the music beforehand. It's extremely rare. Um, so it's crazy. They make us the people who like, and I'm looking at myself in that video. I'm like, I'm terrified, but I remember the relief I felt when I heard the music for the first time. I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess I do know what I'm doing because it sounds pretty good. Um, so um, yeah, so it was kind of a relief at the same time. As for like making the uh, the original soundscape, again, like I was super lucky um, with Moon Studios because they kind of gave me a blank canvas, which can can be very intimidating. But for a game like Ori, which looks the way it does, I I do my best work when I have visuals in front of me, and the way I work. Because I'm a gamer, I've I've been gaming since since like I was three Um, and I feel like I have a decent understanding of what a gamer might expect as they are going through a game. And the way I work, I simply record myself playing the game. I uh, I record a video. I bring that video into my music software and I write to it and I just keep writing until I until I'm like feeling something when I'm watching it, whether it's just regular gameplay. Or whether it's like a, an emotional cutscene. Um, now, as for like gameplay, like when you're just running around the environment and when you're attacking things, I'll give you a very simple example of why it's helpful for me to do that. Um, when I'm recording myself playing the game, I record with the sound effects on. And that gives me an idea of like how much is going on in the audio space already. So one of the decisions I made early on, I was like, man, Ori's sound effects are are pretty, pretty hefty. If you play the original Blind Forest, like when he does that stomp attack, for example, like it's a really impressively large sound for such a small creature to to emit. And I'm like, you know what? That means I'm just not going to use drums for like any of the exploration music um, because Ori's sounds are basically the percussion section of the music. And so that meant that there was space for the sound effects to exist and kind of do their thing. And it also just meant there was space for like the music to do its thing. Cause there was nothing competing with each other. Now, if I'd added a bunch of drums in the exploration music, it would be competing with like all of the different moves and sounds that Ori makes. And that's, that's just like one tiny thing. And there are, I could literally go on for hours and like give you like 25 different examples of like why I write the music with the gameplay on in the background. Um, And I just keep going until I feel that something works. And only then do I present it to the team. Um, And yeah, just forging the sound with visuals like that. The visuals are incredibly inspiring. And that's like the the visuals of the game really inform like what instruments I'm going to use. For example, in Or in the Blind Forest, there's an area called Valley of the Wind. Now, what, what kind of instrument do you think I'm going to use? for an area called Valley of the Wind. The featured instrument's gonna be a wind instrument. And I was like, okay, well, we've got a lot of wind instruments in the world. There's like, there's literally hundreds. Most people think of like orchestral winds as flute, oboe, clarinet, and bassoon. But there's a bunch of instruments from around the world that actually sound very unique and interesting. And I settled on an instrument called the Bansuri, which is a bamboo flute from India. And it's a much more floaty, ethereal sound that I felt was perfectly appropriate for that area of the game. And because the main mechanic of the gameplay is the glide mechanic, which uses wind to get around, it is thematically appropriate to use a wind instrument. Uh, Another example, the Ginzo tree, before the chase sequence, the the infamous chase sequence (laughs) at the end of the Ginzo tree, (laughs) but the whole sequence takes, the whole level takes place inside a tree. Well, what kind of instrument do you think would be appropriate for inside a tree? I actually used a log, um, an actual, like, wooden log for some, like, light, um, light wooden sounds. And I also used other instruments made of wood um, throughout the, the exploration music of that area. And, you know, I can go through every single area in Blind Forest and Will of the Worst and give you a very detailed decision process of, like, how I came to deciding a certain sound for an area. But it all stems, for me, from playing the game... And understanding like what the player is going to be doing in terms of the gameplay and also what they are going to be seeing um and i feel for me that is how the best game music is is made there is a unique synergy between the visuals the gameplay and the music you can't you can't just slap amazing music on top of gameplay. Like it'll be, it'll be satisfying to a point, but it will never feel fully integrated. The best game soundtracks have the gameplay and the visuals written uh in mind um at the same time as the you know so it can all work together
0: so how do you how do you know when you've hit that that just that synergy is it just from you know because you've you've played the game then you're scoring it and everything like that um when do you know that you're like oh that's the sweet spot that is it
2: i if if i could answer that question easily i would put it in a book and then i would sell (laughs) that book and then i'd probably be able to retire uh, because but you know how when you're playing something great, right? And you just know you just there's a sequence that you just know. I, I will tell you the sequence where we kind of knew that we had something special. I mean, I think, you know, what's what I'm going to say um, the the first sequence that we actually like properly produced in terms of gameplay and a cutscene all working together was actually the Ginzo tree sequence. And most people remember the chase sequence, understandably, because it's a very intense period of gameplay. Um, but actually, the reason why it's so effective is because everything before that and after that is centered around that pillar of the chase sequence. So as you're exploring, you're kind of working your way up. The, you, you enter the tree right at the bottom of the tree, and you have to work your way up to the top. Um, and the music gradually changes the further up you go. If you, if you go through the level, um, you'll, you'll notice subtle shifts in the music. And there's like a mini boss fight where it changes. And then you get the bash ability, and then it changes again. And then you get to the corrupted heart and it changes one more time. And then once you've freed the corrupted heart, the music changes again into the chase sequence because you, now you've got to escape from, from water that's rushing up. So mm. you kind of, instead of like music being the same intensity, you kind of like have it changing throughout. And then there's this like big burst with the chase sequence. However, that's not the end of it. You finished the chase sequence and you think you're done. You're like, Oh yeah, you've just finished the chase sequence. Probably one of the hardest sequences in the game. And uh, Ori's relieved on top. Oh no! Then we have another cutscene, and you, it's your first time being introduced to Kuro, the antagonist. Uh, so like the pacing, you've gone from like ten intensity to like one, and then back up to ten again. And then Ori, you know, Ori gets pushed off the cliff by uh, by Kuro, and then wakes up in the Thornfelt Swamp. Now, before Ori went into the Ginzo tree, the Thornfelt Swamp's waters were all corrupted. But because Ori has decorrupted corrupted the, the Ginzo tree's heart, all of the water now in the area is clean. So the first thing you see when you wake up after falling off the cliff is this bright, vibrant area with clean water. And so musically, like I, I remember that was like, I, I could do something that is like a re- tension release here, that, but it's still like, you know, because Ori's just fallen off a cliff. It seems pretty bad. But actually, what the player is experiencing for the first time is, is I made a difference in the world and you see it immediately and you get to swim in the water immediately. And the swimming mechanic in Ori, I think, is it might I'm biased, obviously, but I think it's like the most satisfying swimming mechanic in games. Um, I just think it's so it's so glorious when you experience it for the first time. You just kind of want to loop around and around and around all the time. <laughs> and it's, it especially helps that Ori makes a really cute sound when he's like short of breath. Yep. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is beautiful. We the music needs to be super happy and uplifting, even though Ori just fell off a cliff. I was like, we need to communicate to the player that they've done something positive. And so that whole sequence. People people think of it as like the Ginzo tree sequence, but the reason it's satisfying is because of the pacing that's built around it. And I remember when we finished that and it all flowed smoothly together because you actually hear about, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I think there's like six different pieces of music in the space of, if if you completed it in one go, you'd probably experience like six different pieces of music in about 15 to 20 minutes. And they're all designed to play continuously. And I was like, wow, that, that is Ori right there. And the entire team agreed like that. We just need to do this in other places because this is our template. Obviously we need to do variations of it, but like, this is what Ori should be. It should be ramp up emotionally, ramp up in terms of gameplay, ramp up and down in terms of the visuals. Cause like there's always new visuals being thrown at you mm-hmm. and then the music needs to follow that as well. Well, and it's, it's, I think like the, the best example in blind forest of everything coming together. Um, and you only know it when you play it. And we can all think of moments in various great games that we've played over the years that are iconic. Um, and that's kind of what you're looking for when you make a game. But I I truly wish there was a science to it, but there isn't. It's It's usually just a feeling that you have when you're working on it. And the true miracle in games is that you've got so many people like working on it and there's so many things that can go wrong so when it does actually happen it's truly truly magical um and that's kind of what i look for when i'm working on games i'm like where are these pillars like where are these emotional beats that we absolutely have to hit um and then like when i'm thinking about writing the music i'm like okay everything needs to build towards this moment there's a moment in Will of the Wisps which features a character, and it's quite a sad moment. I'm like, that's clearly going to be a a, a moment to build around. Um, you are just kind of like looking for that when you're working on a soundtrack, and then and then once you build to it, and you're kind of working with the animation team and the art team, it's like let's make sure that everything is working together, and then hopefully you can create more of those magic moments. But it's it's so hard, and so when you do experience it in a game, it's it's like the, it, it is the best thing
1: ever. Let me ask you about Will of the Wisps because. You know, in, in any medium, having a sequel that's able to recapture that magic of your, you know, initial experience into a world is so darn hard, which is something that that, that the whole team did amazing at with Will of the Wisps. What What sorts of things do you have to change when you're coming back to a world as opposed to creating it for the first time? And I think, I think, you know, you and I are thinking of the same sequence, um, I guess without giving anyway any spoilers, but that, that emotional sequence in particular, did that come naturally to you? Is that something that you really had to kind of like bunker down and, and think about how best to portray musically? It's
2: <laughs> it was my first time doing a sequel and, you know, when the, the music for the first one is so loved, it's like, well, I want to do something new, but it can't be too new. But if it's not new enough, I'll get criticized. And if it's too new, I'll get criticized. So it's like, what, what are you going to do? Um, so, um, and, and ultimately, at the, end, at the end of the day, it all comes down to what the story is doing. Um, obviously, we kind of created a musical DNA. In the, in the first game. So th- there is that, like, overall sound that people are expecting. Um, but then you're like, well, where are the opportunities to deviate from that sound? Perfect example is the Moldwood Forest. Um, like, this was the first time we'd kind of done horror in an Ori game. But I was like, well, what is horror in an Ori game? Because it's not like we can't just go and do a Dead Space soundtrack because <laughs> that's, that's going to be too much. It's just not going to feel appropriate. But I was like, well, what's the actual story behind the Moldwood Forest? Like, what are we trying to do here? And the, the Moldwood Forest, the gameplay mechanic is the entire area is basically shrouded with darkness and you can only move through the environment by, by finding light sources or creating light sources yourself. Um, and if you stay in the darkness for too long, the screen envelops in total blackness and you die. Um, and it's what's revealed to the player later on is that you're being stalked by more of the spider, um, as you're working through the moldwood forest. And so I was like, okay, we've got a character in the forest. This isn't just like creepy exploration music. Oh, brilliant. You've, you've literally found uh, moldwood forest footage. Thank you. Um, so, um, So I was like, okay, well, we've got a character that's stalking you. I'm like, that means we can have a theme. So I use the exploration music for Moldred Forest to establish Mora's theme. And I was like, I think this is going to work on a really creepy piano sound. And like most people would not associate piano with spider. Um, But I was like, this kind of works because the piano is so deliberate and precise. And you look at how Mora moves later on. It's quite deliberate and precise. Uh, and I was like, "There's something creepy about this that works with the environment." And piano is an instrument we use a lot in Ori anyway. Anyway, the when you actually have navigated your way through to the Molded Forest and reach Mora's lair, you eventually engage in combat with Mora, and the melody that plays is like the boss fight version of the melody that played while you were exploring. It's much more epic. Man, you are you are killing it with this footage that you're <laughs> lining up. Um, thank you. Um, so um so yeah, so now you're like hearing an epic version and dramatic version of the music that's been stalking you while you've been exploring the the Moldwood Forest. And then of course, you know, it's not really a spoiler to say that eventually you kind of have to defeat Mora, <laughs> but like the the environment uh, is all lit up after you defeat Morris. So it's like so it actually wouldn't be appropriate to have the same music play, like that same stalking like exploration music. So I'm like, huh, well we'll just make a we'll use the same melody, but I'm gonna tweak it slightly to make it sound more uplifting and happy because we've resolved we've we've resolved the area's issue. And so on the soundtrack there's um the tracks called Shadows of Moldwood. That's like the dark stalking track. Then there is the track More of the Spider, which is the boss fight music. And then the, the Happy Uplifting track, which is the resolution of this environment, is called The Darkness Lifted. But if you listen to them carefully, they all use the same melody. Um, and uh, I forgot what your question was.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, you're good. You're good. So, you know, talking about when you have uh, musical DNA created from the first game, finding that balance of, of pushing things in new directions. Right, right.
2: That, that was like the horror example. And I was uh, like, yeah, it was it was it all stemmed from story. Um, and like, what are the characters doing? Because mm-hmm. the one thing about World of the Wish is there's a lot more characters in, in, than in the first game. Mm-hmm. In the first game, Ori's on screen for most of the time. Uh, y- your encounters with Kuro are actually very brief. So, it's not actually that much time to establish a theme for Kuro. Whereas in Will of the Wisps, um, we spend time with Quolok, um, who is a much loved character. Um, and Quolok's with you in Act 1 and Act 2. Quolok's a big giant toad. Um, we spend time with Mora, obviously, and Mora's in an environment. Then there's the Moki, which are the cute otter like creatures, which are kind of like all over the environment. Um, and then of course, Naru and Gumo are, are present much more in the story, like with, with interstitial cutscenes. So there's a lot more chances to use thematic material. Oh, and of course there's the second antagonist in the game Shriek. Um, and Shriek mm-hmm. has her own melody too. And Shriek kind of pops up here and there over the, over the soundtrack. And so we're able to use the same ideas for Ori one in terms of like, let's make sure that the music fits each environment perfectly. But now we've got more room to develop the melodies. Because in Ori 1, I basically rearranged Ori's melody a million different times for each environment. But this time i could be like, we've got Mora's music theme that can be just used in that environment. We've got Quoloc's theme, which can be just used in the environments where Quolock is in. And that adds much more variety um, to the soundtrack. Um, The last thing that I would say is that due to budget and technical reasons. We, you know, if if he's doing a sequel, it usually means the first game was successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gave me much more of a capability to change the music more often as you progress through the environment. What I mean by that, in the first game, it's generally one music track per environment. But Mm -hmm. in this, uh, in the second game, it's multiple music tracks per environment. And they change based on what Ori's doing um, or what Ori has done. Very simple example, at the very beginning of the game, Ori, uh, it wakes up in uh, a new land um, and everything's pretty dark and he's pretty sad because uh, he's just lost his adopted friend, Ku, who is a character from the end of the first game. Uh, they went on a flight together, but they got struck by lightning and Ku's in one part of the, this new land and Ori's in another part of the new land. Ori has to find Ku. The melody is super sad um, and forlorn while you are working way through the environment. However, you get to a point where you get uh it's the you get the sword, we just simply call it the sword in the game. I think it's called spirit sword or something. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, we're in the same environment, but for the player, Ori just picked up a sword, and that's the first time Ori's ever had a weapon in Ori one and two. That's probably pretty cool, right? um, so I use the same sad melody but I changed the accompaniment to make it feel more peppy and exciting and upbeat. Um, because at this point the player is probably smashing X because it's their, <laughs> they've literally just, the, the sword. and if you, and if you swung the sword in Ori, it's really impressive. Like there's lights everywhere. It's, it's very, very, very fun. Yes. And we give you some simple enemies to kill. I'm like, well, the music probably should be more upbeat, but I want to make sure that the player knows it's like in the back of their head, we've still got to, we still got to find coup. So it's like a mix of that sad melody, but something more peppy and upbeat with more momentum. It's like, yeah, the player, you're, you're doing something. Um, and there's like a million examples of that throughout the soundtrack, um, where we're able to like change the music more frequently based on actions uh, that Ori is completing in the game. I'll give one more very simple example. There's a room in the ancient Wellspring. It's a platforming puzzle room um, that is one of my favorite rooms across the the two games. Basically, you have to work your way through the room, you pull a lever, and then the room rotates by 90 degrees. The platforms stay in the same place, but the room rotates 90 degrees. And you have to then navigate again through the environment, pull the lever again, platform, uh, room rotates 90 degrees. And you do that three times and you eventually get to the end. Each time you pull the lever, the same piece of music plays, but in a slightly different way. Maybe it's got mm. like slightly different instruments or the tempo is slightly quicker or the pitch is slightly higher. But we made three different recordings for that room to like communicate to the player that like this is a puzzle room. And, you know, did I have to do that? No, nah, probably not. But I was <laughs> like, actually, it was a fairly cheap thing for me to do because I'm like, well, I'm basically just using the same material, just in a slightly different way. And there are some players who are going to absolutely... F- fly through that room and complete it really quickly but there are other players who might spend a long time in that room so i felt like i was catering for both and Mm -hmm. it just made that room a bit more meaningful and you'd be amazed at how complicated the tech is to to make sure that like each time the lever changes the correct music plays because what if the player decides to leave right what do you do then and do they decide to do something else and so like we didn't have that technology in the first game to like do all of the tracking you need to do of all of the different things that Ori has done in the game. But this time we did. And so that, allowed me to change the music on a much more granular level which I hope was more satisfying for the player
0: when working on a sequel one that, that you've worked on the the uh, the first iteration um, did you from a behind the scenes point did you look to hire the same musicians that had worked on the previous game uh, just so that they had they already had a sense of what the game is and, and working with you and stuff like that or do you just you know whoever's available what does that look like
2: it's funny I did th- I did think about that because I was like, man, I'm 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 pretty loyal. And I was like, I need to, you know, I need to consider like hiring the same group. But the thing is, there, you know, a lot of where orchestral soundtracks are recorded, it depends on budget. It's really expensive. And mm-hmm. um the studio we recorded Will of the Wisps at is a studio called Air Studios, literally just A-I-R. Um, and it's where some of my very favorite soundtracks were recorded. Um uh Hans Zimmer records a lot of his music there. Um, Inception, yes. Inception was recorded there. Uh, Interstellar, um, but it's also, it's a very magical sounding room. It's basically a giant church that has been converted to a recording studio. Uh, and it's funny the the studio where we recorded Ori One was also a church. It just wasn't a giant church. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I, I somehow felt that you know Ori's, Ori has an undertone of spirituality to it. I think, and I was like a oh, church is appropriate. For recording, um, uh, recording a soundtrack like Ori, but also, I mean, the other thing is, I'm I'm British and I just wanted to record in London, period, and work (laughs) with work with um, work with musicians from London. Uh, And again, I'm biased, but I think London musicians are some of the best in the world. And um, yeah, so it's one of those things. Like, if you hire an orchestra, they generally like a good orchestra can generally do a good job no matter what. Um, so it, kind of, it doesn't matter too much, um, so there was part of me that like I, that, like that has this regret about not going back but at the same time, the end result still is fantastic, and it also means that the Will of the wisp score kind of has a, its own identity um, it, it, the other reason for that, like, is the tone of Ori 1 is much more naive and charming, and it actually doesn't have that big of an orchestra most of the orchestra material for the first game Is actually recorded by like 25 to 30 players. Um, We do have like stuff like the Ginzo Trees Escape is like 50 to 55, but the vast majority of the soundtrack is more intimate sounding because, you know, Ori's a little character and he's literally just been born. Um, He's finding Mm -hmm. his way in the world. The overall tone of Will of the Wisps, if you've played the game, it's much darker and heavier and more mature. And I was like, I think we need a bigger heftier soundtrack because we are dealing with some heftier material um you know especially you know i I don't want to spoil the ending but how we handled the ending makes people feel very different based (laughs) on like how they feel about the about the the character um i know plenty of people that love the ending but i also know plenty of people that really struggled with it and it's funny because i'm like they they write like i hate the ending i'm like no you actually hate how you Feel. that's that's right. what that's that's what it is and i'm like if we've made you do that that means we were successful and i think i think it's a sign that we nailed the ending because like there is kind of a split in the the fan base it's like um it's because you can take the ending two completely different ways and they're actually both valid um and if you feel bad that's great if you don't feel if you don't if you feel happy then that's also great um so that more mature content meant i was like we need a bigger orchestra and to do that, you need a bigger space and simply put the space uh, in Nashville where we recorded just wasn't quite big enough to do what I wanted to do because for Ori too, uh, the the orchestra was 75 players for most of it. And we also had 20 singers as well. So it's almost a hundred musicians. Um, and don't get me started. Then there's the soloists, and then there's like, you know, the sing <laughs> the act like the solo singers, Airily and Kelsey mirror uh, and then the solo woodwind player. So it's like, you, you want to, you know, you want to have some continuity and early was a singer on the first game. I had to bring her back for the, for the second game because she, she is literally the first voice you hear in the game. And she's also the first voice you hear in blind forest. And she's Mm -hmm. also the last voice you hear in will of the wisps. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, most people, that's like a small detail. uh, But I was like, I think I can make that work. Uh, And it did work out, which was pretty cool. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was just like those little details. It's like so yeah, there there is some continuity. uh, But when you're when you're dealing with orchestras, that's like a quite a specific sound. So you know, we could have probably recorded it just about anywhere. Um, but there was something special about recording it in that studio. It's mainly cause I'm, I'm British, but also we needed the big
1: space. You know, we could spend hours just I talking know. about <laughs> Ori cause I love that series, <laughs> but I feel, I feel like that that'd be too reductive of, of the career you've had so far. So let me, but before I move on, I, I now, I, now I have to know how did you take the ending?
2: Oh, I, uh, when I first saw the ending, I was like, this is the most perfect thing ever. Um, I was I was more surprised that Microsoft were okay with it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but when I saw it, I was like, "Oh man, what a what a gift for me as a composer! I get to write music for like this last ten minutes of the game." Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, for me, like the the ending of the the ending of Ori two is probably the music I'm most proud of in my career so far. And what I mean by the ending is there's a just on the soundtrack, it's from the track "The Spirit Willow" all the way to the end. The Spirit Willow cutscene is basically a cutscene that um, is actually the first cutscene I finished um, writing um, because it's a very, very visually inspiring cutscene. And uh, that from that moment on, the music is designed to be a completely continuous flowing thing. The Spirit Willow flows in to Shriek and Ori, which is the final boss fight of the game, which is this epic six minute track. And then that all flows seamlessly into the closing cutscene music, which is a mixture of interactive and non-interactive music. I still don't know really how I managed to put all that together because it's incredibly complicated. But um, <laughs> I guess I was just kind of in the zone. Um, yeah, that like when when I saw like how everything played out, I'm like, man, what a gift! I just like have to get this over the line. Um, and the very final cue in the game, which is Ori embracing the light. I was like, huh, this is one of the easiest cues I've ever written because it just has to reuse all of the material that we've had already. I don't actually need to write anything new. I need to arrange it so it's like matching what's going on on screen. But I'm like, I looked at it and I'm like, I know exactly what to do here. And it's because I have played the game for so many hours. I am so close to all of the characters in the game. And I also know exactly what I want the players to be feeling at this moment. So in many people, because I, you've just asked me about the ending and like, how do I feel? And it's like, you know, I'm like, this ending is cool. But I actually like it made me feel something without music when I when I watched it. And so I was like, well, I kind of know what to do here. Um, and uh, in that respect, it was I, I was stressing out about it like before because I'd seen the ending in the script, but I hadn't seen it visually. And then when I saw it visually, I'm like, oh, man, what a gift. Uh, this is, this is going to be so much fun. And I can't wait to watch everyone on Twitch when <laughs> the game comes out to see how they react um, and to see, like, the, the divide. Um, if there is one, because I, I wasn't sure, like, how, how people would react um and uh, that is by the way one of the most satisfying things about twitch and youtube which you don't really get if you're all working in film or television is you get to see real-time reactions of people oh, yeah. playing the game and reacting to your work i can't begin to tell you how satisfying that is as a developer when you've worked on something you know i've worked on Ori for a decade a decade of my life and basically my whole professional career um and so so when you when people are willing to reveal themselves in that way uh it's incredible incredibly rewarding to to know that your work and your team's work has affected someone uh, what i like to say about music you know, cuz a lot of people you know the thing about oris music is like oh it's emotional i'm like i am kind of guiding you into a way of how like how you want to feel but actually what i feel like i'm really doing is opening up your brain pathways to feel exactly what you want to feel which is you know why that ending is so important because, like the the music, I don't think is directly telling you to be happy or sad. It's just opening your brain pathways to feel exactly what you want to feel. Um That's kind of what I was trying to do, and that's what I feel like the best music does, especially in scenes like that. It's not always explicitly telling you how to feel. It's trying to make that connection in your head um, to a feeling that you've had um in, in you know in your past. Oh, I got a little yeah, bit Yeah, and job
1: well. <laughs> Job well done there, obviously, and obviously with with the awards and nominations that have come with that. So obviously you're, uh, we're not alone in, in feeling that. Uh, I wanted to touch on Immortals: Phoenix Rising because I find that game so interesting. Because when I think of like mythology, generally, like in my mind, they played as like the super self serious, uh, like like sometimes like overly dramatic, which is very much not this game, which is part of its charm. You know, it, it's it's more lighthearted. So when you approach that project like were you surprised at the tone at first that they were taking and and what was that process like um i know you commissioned to get a couple of instruments made to kind of help with the soundtrack uh, yeah. so what like what was that process like with with phoenix rising
2: well I, I remember i remember when uh i i first uh visited the the studio in quebec and i was like okay this is this is different uh because they they had me they had me come out and i got to play the game um and the first thing that struck me about it was the visuals i was like okay we're doing greek mythology but it basically looks like a dreamworks movie uh, mm-hmm. and i was like and, and the tone of it is like a dreamworks movie i the reason i use dreamworks over pixar is because i think dreamworks movies are generally slightly more light-hearted um and then you get to the the voice acting i'm like oh okay we're doing that kind of voice acting for this <laughs> Uh, instead (laughs) of like super serious Prometheus and Zeus, but the thing, the great thing about mythology is you have complete creative freedom on like what you can do in Mm. terms of how you can present something because it's all that it's literally the definition of mythology. Um, it's mythical. So nothing is truly like correct. As long as, as long as you're like, you know, you've got your like rough foundation in place that gives you such a freedom in how to tell your story. And if you actually look into what's written about the Greek gods, I mean, you can go this ultra serious route and that they were all dark and messed up, but actually it seemed like they kind of like to have a lot of fun. Uh, uh, I feel like the Greek gods would have had a good time in Vegas. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so I, I looked at that. I'm like, okay, this is kind of the light, the lighthearted score and, I, and a set soundtrack. And the way I thought about the soundtrack, there's kind of like three attack methods into, into dealing with it. It's dealing with mythology. And, you know, obviously one of the reasons they hired me is because it's it's not really a secret that I that I do the magical thing reasonably well. Um, I, I, I hope I'm not sounding, uh, you know, too egotistical by saying that, uh, but that is kind of my thing. Um, and uh, so there's one aspect to it like that. I think they definitely wanted Um but then, like, there's the orchestral aspect of it. And my approach to that was to think a bit like Disney Fantasia. Um, because there's something, like, even though the, the game itself isn't, like, dark and heavy, it's, it's, it's still, it, to me, it's over the top, but in a different way. It's, it's in a welcoming, welcoming way. Much like when you actually go to Disney itself. Like, all the characters are exaggerated. Look at, look at how everything moves in this game. Um, and look at the visuals. Everything's exaggerated when you're actually fighting a creature and you kill it, the monster goes flying like a (laughs) hundred meters into the distance. Like why, why is that? Because it's fun, right? Like Uh that, that's, that's it. There there is a sense of fun behind it. I was like, okay, we can have some fun with the orchestral. It's like not serious orchestral music all the time. Like the boss fight music might sound serious, but it's also the, i wanted the music to feel like it was having fun. Um, And then there's the last, so it's, it's like the, the orchestral element which is you know not too dour and serious the magical element and then there's the like traditional greek element if we'd gone all out on the traditional greek element the soundtrack would have been too too serious and it just wouldn't have worked plus also if they wanted to do that they wouldn't have hired me they should have just <laughs> hired someone from greece like right. you know <laughs> you know that that would have made more sense but it needed a greek flavor which is why i commissioned uh, a couple of greek liars. um and uh um I can actually show you one of them if you give me, like, 10 seconds. Oh, to, yeah, to, to, sure. Yeah, let's I'm, do it. I mean, it's going to be super out of tune. But, like, you can see how, how big this is. Um, yeah, it's really out of tune. But, like, you use these to tune. It. it functions just like a guitar. So you tune these up, and then you, then you play them. Um, so, so, yeah, I had a couple of those instruments commissioned um, to add some authentic, authenticity to the soundtrack. And so between, like, the authentic sounds... Orchestra and the magical element, we kind of ended up with the the tone and, and instrument choice of uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, and then really it was just it's my first open world game that I've written music for, and man, it's, you just need to write a ton of stuff um, because mm. there's there's like this massive island, and each island has its own theme. Um, just a brief primer on the story: Typhon's the big bad god, and he's imprisoned. Five of the good gods, um, and each good god has their own region. So Aphrodite has her own region, Ares has his own region, um, Hephaestus has his own region, and Athena and Hermes uh, and Zeus. And you basically have to rescue each of them from, the, from, the, from their regions, and they all have like a different storyline that plays out in each region. Aphrodite's region is all very beautiful and lush. There's fruit trees everywhere, and it's very green. Um, Hephaestus's region he's the he's the god of the forge his environment is literally a giant forge now as you can imagine the music for a giant forge area should sound very different to the music for a um a a lush and beautiful area um so we had music that was thematically appropriate for each area um but the real thing that i'm like most proud of in this soundtrack is that the music changes whether you are walking flying riding a horse or in combat but it's all part of the same overall piece of music but it changes on the fly based on how you're traversing the environment and whether you're in combat or not and i still to this day don't really know how they got the tech to do that properly (laughs) and it was it was absolute (laughs) like uh it, it it drove me crazy like getting the first version of that down because i'm like how how do i even like start to figure this out but basically I started with the flying, which is the easiest. The flying is the, it's very fun to fly in Immortals Phoenix Rising. I'm like, well, we'll just use, I I feel like I'm giving away all my tricks now. I'm just like, (laughs) we'll just use a wind instrument for flying. Um, Cause, cause like it's, it's very light as well. So I was like, you know, wind instruments do sound light. And so it's, it's very ambient while you're flying. The horse riding piece has a lot of momentum and has a little bit of tappy percussion in it and like a little bit of like strumming, so it's it's got momentum in it because when you're riding a horse, it's fast. Uh, when you're walking around, that's like the the normal piece of music, which generally just plays something melodic. Um, and then when you're in combat, well, I haven't used any drums yet, so let's use some drums for the combat. So once I figured that out, then it was like, okay, well, you need to now do three of these, three of these suites for each environment. So there's like Hephaestus sweet One flying, combat, horse, walking, suite one, two, and three. And then you need to do it for every other environment as well. And so there's like 18 of these interactive suites, and then there's boss fight music, and then there's cutscenes music. Oh, and then, by the way, we have these bolts of Tartaros, where there's like these massive epic puzzles, uh, which are like kind of platforming puzzles, or like you have to shoot a bow. Um, There's even like... uh, pinball um which if, if you if you just type in immortals phoenix rising pinball into youtube <laughs> enjoy uh it's really bizarre uh but it's very fun um and i was like okay well i guess all of this needs music and so i think like the total amount of music on the soundtrack is like 210 minutes um which oh, is wow. a lot um uh, but i had a, such a great time working on it because of the style and tone of the game, like, I think that is a game which not a lot of people knew how to take it when it came out because i think a lot of people may have thought this was going to be a serious game but like i know people who have jumped into it um and you know with with no expectations um and because of like how fun and lighthearted it is it's kind of a change of tone from a lot of the serious games that are out there right um and and if you look it's funny because Greek mythology has been pretty well covered the last few years. We've had God of War, that's one tone. We've had Hades, completely different tone. Mm -hmm. Immortals Phoenix Rising, completely (laughs) different tone. And I think they're all very successful in very, very, very different ways. And that's kind of cool. And it just goes, it kind of illustrates my point about mythology. You have the freedom to do whatever you want as you know as long as it works um so yeah again i'm not sure if i really answered your question but i i covered some cool talking things, no
1: no that was, that was, <laughs> and i'm glad that you enjoyed the time because obviously you've you've spent more time with with uh, uh miss of the eastern realm yep. uh so obviously you're entering a, a a different sector of of musical influences there so was it was it hard to transition while keeping that tone in place or was it was it fairly easy to to make that jump
2: So, so yeah, it was actually the same philosophy, Uh like in terms of the, in terms of like the approach, the one I've just described, the the main difference was obviously that we're now like the, you know, it's still orchestral music, Mm -hmm. but with a focus on more uh, Chinese sounding harmony, because the Greek, the Greek scales, which use like the traditional, like Western scales that we're used to are very different from Chinese scales. Um, So just, it just affects the notes that you choose that's like the first fundamental difference. The other fundamental difference, obviously can't use any Greek instruments in China. Um, so, but, but this was very interesting because i worked with Ubisoft uh, Chengdu on this, uh, Chinese, one of their Chinese studios. And wow, did they give me an education. So the best thing that they did for me was teach me about various Chinese instruments and when they existed. And they gave me this spreadsheet and i was like okay well, oh boy i i've got to have a bunch of rules to follow here um but there was a reason for it so if you go back a bit further into my discography i did a an add-on pack for minecraft called minecraft chinese mythology mm-hmm. and so so i already did have some experience um i'm just looking up uh the spreadsheet because i i still have it because it's uh, it's really interesting give me one sec. um and the Minecraft, uh, the Minecraft mythology soundtrack was set during a certain era of the, uh, of of, of Chinese history, and uh, I'm just going to tell you which era it was. Now, give me one sec. There it is. Okay, so, um, Minecraft Chinese uh, mythology was set during the Tang Dynasty. Tang Dynasty was year six hundred and eighteen. The so 907 A.D. Immortus Phoenix Rising Mist of the Eastern Realm is set during the Qin Dynasty, which is 221 to 207 B.C. Oh, man. Almost in a thousand year difference. Now, as you can imagine, there are some instruments that might not have even been around, like in the (laughs) Mm -hmm. Qin Dynasty. And the most famous example of this is the Chinese violin, the Arhu, which is spelled E-R-H-U. It's that sound that you hear in literally every Hollywood movie, mm. like that is vaguely set in China. It's kind of like <laughs> it's, it's it is the it is the trophy instrument because it just has that sound that you can immediately identify. But I'm looking at the spreadsheet right now, and and literally by Erhu, it says first of all it's too common. Like they don't want me. They they wanted me to use some more esoteric or less used Chinese instruments. But then in the next comment, it literally says era mismatching that means the <laughs> instrument was just not around to an extent in the in in the kin in the kin dynasty so i'm like well great no arahu which actually made things very simple because you know I'm, I'm referring to this list of instruments that i can use and i didn't have to go to the tropiest sounding of instruments so it made it a bit more authentic and it, what it means is that when i listen to my music for minecraft chinese mythology it's quite different to what i did for Immortals, myths of the Eastern realm, and I really like appreciated the proper education. and And trust me, this was like Chinese music one hundred and one, maybe one hundred and two, because I did do one hundred and one on like Chinese mythology. Um, but like, it's one one of the coolest things about it being being able to to work on all of these different projects is you know you get the chance to learn something each time. For example, on the Ori games, I've learned so much about different wind instruments from around the world. Um, the collaborator who I worked with on *Will of the Wisps, she played uh, twenty different wind instruments on the soundtrack, wow. and she owns like three hundred. Um, like you never, you have no idea like how many different instruments are available to composers, and it's like because most people think, "Oh, he's an orchestral soundtrack composer," so it's like woodwind instruments, flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, and it's like no, there's like a million more instruments out there that are just as interesting and just as unique. And uh it's so fun as a composer when you have the right project to be able to go out and explore, and it's like, "All right, well, I want to use that weird thing what that's weird to me now because I've never heard it before, how can I make it work in a soundtrack setting? That is like when I'm having like the most fun as a composer. um a very simple example from a game that you know is that we haven't mentioned, but i I did and um." It was, it was something that, like, when I heard the sound, I wanted to use it. Um, there's a specific type of singing that stems from Bulgarian folk music. So, a group of, it's generally a group of women that's singing. And if you just type in Bulgarian choir into YouTube, you will be able to find plenty of examples like that. And you'll hear this sound in Darksiders Genesis. Um, and I use it's it's a very un, I can only describe it as unstable. And I was like, this unstable style of singing, it's not like a traditional church choir, but like this traditional Bulgarian sound. For whatever reason, I think it's perfect for killing demons. Um, (laughs) And I put it in the music and I'm like, yeah, this is perfect for killing demons. Because I was, you know... You're amazing. I, I, this is incredible. I, I can't go over like, how quickly he found that. Um, I, I guess I did just tell you to type it into YouTube. Like, um, this might actually be the group that I hired. Uh, so they, they weren't wearing their traditional costumes when we recorded, but um, this this might be one of the groups that I hired, or at least some of the singers might have been involved. Um, but uh, yeah I heard that sound and I'm like that is a cool sound and we're gonna use it in Darksiders Genesis and that that was just an ex- that's just one example of like being getting the opportunity because the game allowed for it they were like you can do whatever you want as long as it works and I'm like well I think this is gonna work and it totally did um and that's like one of the most fun things about being a composer is getting to explore all of these different things from from different sounds uh from around the world and uh, getting to be able to try them out to see if they can work in the soundtrack and, and then make it appropriate for the game.
1: When you look back on on your body of work so far, is there a project that that stood out to you as as one of the most challenging that that you maybe had not trouble but more difficult nailing the the right tone down?
2: Well, I think uh, this is this is a pretty easy one and uh, it's very current um, and it, this probably isn't going to be a surprise to anyone. So. Normally, I'm in the business of creating IP. Like, if you think about Mm -hmm. the stuff I worked on, created Ori, created Ark, Um, to an extent I created the sound on Darkseid's Genesis because it was a spin-off rather than a mainline entry into the series, created sound for Immortals. That's kind of my thing. So, of course, uh, Halo. (laughs) like can you imagine like stepping in to uh you know to some, to into a series which has that much history and uh in particular a soundtrack that is beloved by its fan base and rightfully so and so you know the thing is when you, when you get the call you know I, I, it wasn't really a call; it was an email I, i'm like i literally i saw an email from 343 and i'm like oh this is this is going to be that opportunity Um, because three, four, three only work on one thing. Um, So (laughs) you kind of, you kind of know, Um, and I'm like, can't, can't really turn down Halo. Plus I've, you know, I played the very first Halo and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm very familiar with the games. I'm not very good at first person shooters, but um, Halo has a way of being enjoyable, whether you're good at first person shooters or not. Um, And I was like, well, I've I've definitely got to try this out, even though this will be the first time I'm stepping into something that someone else has created. And so the way I like to compare it is instead of creating a musical language, I now have to learn someone else's language. So I'm like, to me, it's like learning French, Mm -hmm. which I studied in school for a long time or, or Japanese. I'm like, I just have to treat this the way I'm learning to a language, learning a language. So, you know what's the first thing you learn? you start to learn vocabulary. Vocabulary is like to me uh what instruments are being used, and then you start to learn sentence structure to me, sentence structure is like how is the music constructed um, and you start to notice certain patterns and certain things once you've studied the music enough and by the way, I'm not just talking about Marty O'Donnell's and Michael Salvatore's music, although they established it And that music is like super important to setting time. But, you know, we're also talking about the music of Halo 4, which is done by Neil Davidge and Kazuma Janucci, who did Halo 5. And then there's the Halo Wars music. Like, there is a massive history of music that needs to be studied. And uh, I should add, I'm not the only composer on Halo Infinite. Mm -hmm. There's there's two others doing the campaign, and then um, there's another composer who just did the multiplayer music, uh, because it's very different to the campaign music. Um, And... Once you've studied something for long enough, then you start to feel like competent. It's like, okay, maybe now I can attempt to write something. And, you know, usually the feedback is like, it's not Halo enough. But actually, one of the most important things that came back was um, the music is too busy. And one of the most noticeable things about some of the classic classic Halo music is that even though it's action music, there is space in the music. And I don't mean space as in like sci-fi space. I mean like gaps. And right. what that means is is that everything everything kind of sounds punchy, and I think that's one of the things that people feel most about when they listen to the Halo music. It's 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 punchy. Um, it's got that tribal drum element. Drums are a really important part of uh, of Halo's music. But it also get when there's that space in the music, it also gives the sound effects and the monster sounds a chance to shine. And one of the things that struck me about playing even the original Halo games is how clean the overall audio mix is. Um, mm-hmm. like the balance and considering how much is going on on screen, it's a very clean sounding game. Um, the last thing I would say about Halo's music that I, that I learned in the, in the, in the process is, um, you know, how, why, why do people feel this way about, you know, playing as Master Chief? Like, what is it, what is it about Master Chief, you know, that the music is, is conveying and The thing that came up, you know, first of all, Master Chief's a badass. There's pretty much no situation that he can't really take care of. Um, But the emotional element of that is when other humans see Master Chief on the battlefield, it's like a rally cry. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's like, Master Chief's here, everything's going to be okay. There's no situation that Master Chief doesn't feel like he can take care of. Um, And so... The, how that is conveyed into the music to me and to you know i would have been told this by 343 because like i've studied my halo music but trust me the people at 343 have really studied their halo music <laughs> mm-hmm. um and um uh yeah so that's so the music supervisor um who's who's new for halo infinite he he used to work on um he music supervised i think he music supervised god of war and he may have supervised the last of us anyway he worked for sony before um uh, coming mm-hmm. over to, to microsoft and uh, yeah, so he kind of guided us, and like you know, one of the things is like the the music is very deliberate. Um, and if if you compare the movement of a first person shooter like Halo, where I think feel like the movements and the pace of gameplay is very deliberate, like mm-hmm. Master Chief's a badass, but he's also pretty precise because hey, he's a Space Marine and he's pretty well trained. Um, so whereas the Slayer, yeah, he might be. I'm, I'm comparing the Slayer from Doom because <laughs> it's like the most obvious. <laughs> comparison to make still a first person shooter right but Mm -hmm. like the the feel of the gameplay it's like i'm here to kill demons as quickly as possible quickly as possible right um and i will you know that there's there's that it's it's more chaos i don't think we'd ever associate the word chaotic with how master chief goes through you know goes through enemies and there are chaotic moments But if you compare it to Doom, it's like night and day. And so obviously the music is very different as well. Now we can go through other first person shooters and explain the difference as well. But I I like to use those two because even though fundamentally they're first person shooters, they feel very different. And Mm -hmm. once I had learned all of those things, I was like, okay, now I I may not be fluent in the Halo language, but I'm definitely proficient. And... Mm -hmm. Once you become proficient in a language, musical language, it's like you've got that core foundation. And then, of course, you can start to do your own things with it. But you can't do that until you've learned the, until you've learned the basics and, and actually the intermediates of, of the language. Um, so that, that was the most challenging. But of course, it's also satisfying when you pull it off. And the, I'm not going to lie, when the technical preview came out, and I, I didn't know that they were putting literally an hour of original soundtrack into the the menu because um, mm. there's the multiplayer element. The multiplayer element has this cool post rock thing, which is, you know, it's very different and it's perfect for the multiplayer. Uh, but they would put it, they put like an hour of music by myself, Curtis and Joel. And I was like, oh, boy, uh, now we're going to get some, <laughs> now we're going to get some reception. Um, and, unfortunately, fortunately it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, I'm of the opinion that you'll, you'll never be able to please everyone. Heck, I didn't even mm-hmm. please everyone in Ori too. And I created that. So it's like, <laughs> um, you know, um, because you know, there's, there's going to be some people who will never be able to get beyond the original. Like the, right. I, I and, and I totally understand that because it's, it's so hard to recreate the original. You've already touched on that yourself and that's totally fine. Um, but I think object uh, like in my opinion i think ori 2 is a much stronger soundtrack than ori 1 but ori 1 definitely has some hit pieces but ori 2 is a better overall soundtrack in my opinion uh because i think it emotionally delivers on a much deeper level because of everything i set up in ori 1 basically um and also because i kind of knew what i was doing uh in the second one (laughs) um but um yeah, so so my goal is like, you know, even if I can't please everyone, if I'm pleasing like 90 to 95 percent, I'm probably doing pretty well. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I obviously hope that as many people as possible are satisfied with what we've done for Halo, because I uh, we, you know, we're trying to make sure that it feels like Halo. But of course, we want to make sure that we can move the Halo music into the future as well. Uh, and obviously the verdicts will be out when the, the game is, is finally released. Uh, not going to lie. I'm pretty, pretty nervous about that though. The technical preview has been incredibly positive because the technical preview just for, you know, just for clarity's sake, it's not a beta test. Like it's, right. it's the beta before the beta. Right. Uh, so the fact that it's gone as smoothly as it did and that people are generally enjoying the game is, is really positive And it makes me uh, uh, very optimistic for what's coming. Um, and I'm, we talked about delays earlier i'm very glad they delayed the game because as I said you've only you've only got one chance to to make a positive impression and you know I think it's fair to say that halo is a pretty pretty big release this year so uh <laughs> yeah. um, but uh yeah so, so that kind of gives you that that's like probably been the most challenging project to to date mm-hmm. um but i'm very glad that i did it cuz i think but you know between myself and curtis and Joel, we we it was it was a learning experience for all of us and we, we realized that, yes, we, we can actually fit into the, into the Halo universe and also do our own spin on things as well. Um, would, I, you know, would I do it again? Well, I have to get, you know, if, if there's more Halo coming, we'll have to wait and see if that offer comes. Um, there are other franchises I'd like to work on, most notably, and I've been pretty public about this, I'd love to work on an Assassin's Creed title one day. I've, oh, nice. I'm, so I'm one awesome. of those crazy people that has played every single assassin's creed and every single dlc um, oh so yeah um i i'm very nerdy about all the lore of the game <laughs> yeah. um so I, i'm all in on assassin's creed so but you know they've also they've had so many amazing composers and there's so many amazing composers working in the industry that if i don't get to do one no big deal uh because i'm quite happy uh creating you know new ip as as well um so um and i am working on a project that is a really, really far out. Um, but I'm super excited about it because it's basically a, a big AAA open world thing um, in the fantasy setting. But I, I get to do my own thing. Um, and uh, nice. yeah, it's a long way away. Um, it's very unusual for a composer to be brought on this early. But the benefit of that is going to be felt at the end, I'm sure, cause, uh, um that doesn't happen very often.
1: You know, I just I just have to uh, since since you brought up Halo. <laughs> yep. I it's it's funny cuz I I've been a, a Halo fan since the first game uh as well and it's it's one of those few series that like you think of the music like near the forefront, right? Like I think that's pretty yep. rare in in almost any medium. You think of the chanting, the piano, the yep. kind of rockish mm-hmm. track that that plays. Yep. So when when you know that gamers have very ingrained preset expectations or, or memories of a soundtrack, is that challenging and, and limiting on, on how creative you can be? And uh, without trying to get you to be specific, but working with with other composers, does that how how much does that make the process easier or more challenging?
2: Well, one uh, one thing and I've kind of touched on this already. Um, one benefit is having a music supervisor. When you, when you have multiple composers, you kind of need someone to coordinate coordinate them all working together. Um, you know, Halo is a big game, there's a lot of music, and you know, we need to spend a lot of time on getting it right. That's why there are so many composers. And I think we will actually bring something slightly different to the table anyway. But a music supervisor kind of keeps us all on track. The other benefit of a music supervisor is they can filter all of the feedback from the studio, so we're not like dealing with 20 different opinions it gets kind (laughs) of filtered it kind of acts as a barrier i'm not saying that doesn't mean people at 343's opinions are invalid but when you're creative you don't want to be dealing with a bunch of different opinions you kind of need you kind of want to have like one person that you report to um Mm -hmm. that's so that that's the first thing Like having a music supervisor um really really helps with that now you mentioned like you know Halo's very associated with, with with its music, and rightfully so. And it's funny, because there, there is pressure in a way, but actually there isn't, because there's an expectation from gamers, especially Halo fans, that certain pieces of music are going to play. Like, if you start up the game, you kind of need to hear the choir chant, right? <laughs> like... Oh, you know, so... What, what are we going to do? Like, you know, how much are we going to change that? And, um, you know, it's, you know, you, you're not going to touch the original riff, but maybe we can take that choir chant and after like 30 seconds of people hearing the bit that they that is really famous, maybe then you can take it somewhere else. Um, but there's pieces in Halo that are as iconic to Halo as like the Star Wars fanfare is to Star Wars or right. the Imperial March is to Star Wars. You got to have them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's funny because it's like um, this comes up all the time. It, it even came up in Ori. It's like I, I remember the end credits came up in Ori, right, in Ori 2. And it's literally the exact same piece of music that we use in Ori 1. It's even the same recording. I didn't even bother to record it. Because, <laughs> like, because, because why would you? Like it's, it's light of right. the bell and it's, 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 a time, it's a timeless recording. I think even if I tried to record it again, it might not sound how it sounded six years ago. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm just going to drop it in, and and there were comments. There was one comment. This is, I know you're not supposed to read the comments, but I do. Um, and there was one comment that actually really annoyed me. That said, oh, he was lazy. He just dropped, it. and I'm like, lazy? You got you got three and a half hours of new soundtrack in Ori two, and you're going to call me lazy? No, I actually. The reason I actually put reused it because I was like, the the game ends, and I'm like, light of Nibel is like. You know, they play the same music at the end of every mainline Star Wars music. Does anyone complain? No, You're you kind right. of expect to hear it, right? Um, and I was like, you know what, Light of Nobel was kind of, you know, the end game anthem. And I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put that at the end because it feels like the perfect thing to play here uh, mm-hmm. because it is the end of the story, like the curtains, the curtains raised. Um, and uh yeah i was like no it's not lazy i actually just think it's intelligent reuse of music um -hmm. and so you know there's certain spots in game in games and films where you can like drop that you you can drop the banger (laughs) basically you you, want to drop that tune that everyone loves but you can't overuse it what i like to call it you know i like to call it the golden bullet um and in ori 2 I actually don't use Ori's theme that often in the music because I know how powerful it is, and I also use it a ton in Ori 1. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm only going to use it when I really, really need it. So generally speaking, we only really hear it in the boss fights of Ori because that's like the moment I need to communicate to the player, like, yeah, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And so I saved the most pronounced epic version of Ori's theme to play in Shriek and Ori, the first half of the Shriek, the uh, sorry, the first phase of the Shriek and Ori boss fight, really just focuses on Shriek's theme, and it's quite it's quite scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's a, like a chase phase um, where the music like just kind of transitions, and then when you get to the third phase of the fight, the music transitions into something much more heroic, and that's where I drop the beat for one of a better <laughs> word, but you know, but but it is because what I you know I've read the comments. When when that theme kicks in, like I know how powerful it is for the player, and because the player hasn't heard it that much in the game, but they've probably most people who've played Will of the West play Blind Forest, but they they're familiar with the theme at this point. So when they hear the theme in its like most epic form, it feels super satisfying.
0: And so yeah. for
2: I think it's the same for Halo. Halo has these iconic tracks and themes, and Yes, you want to hear versions of the originals, but also the great thing about a good theme is you can arrange it in so many different ways and frankly it's composition 101. One of the first things you're taught as a composer here's a melody that you've written now write it in five completely different ways, but it's still recognizable as that melody that is one of the first things at least for me that i I you know learned to do and it's actually something I still try and do every day is write a melody and then vary it like if you know if I I don't have, I have plenty of work to do these days, but like if if, if, I, if I want to do an exercise, then it's like take a melody and change it because, and, but still make it recognizable. That is like one of the most basic skills uh, a composer will ever need, especially for film and games because we have, to, we rely on themes so much. And the great thing about Halo's music is that there's a lot of themes have been written for us already. So it's like, hey, we've got a, we've got a great foundation of material here. Um, but for example, there's, you know, there's a new antagonist in in Halo Infinite. That's not a spoiler, uh, because mm-hmm. we uh, introduced that antagonist in the trailer that came out last year. And the music that plays under his monologue is this really grindy, deep cello and bass theme Um and at the end, oh you found it. Brilliant. Um, so, <laughs> uh, um that's never not gonna entertain me, by the way, the fact that you can do that so quickly. Um so yeah, so yeah, this monologue, it's like there's there's bass underneath it, but then later on in the track, we start, we take I, I combine this brute's bassy theme, and then on top of it, I add one of the more heroic Halo themes, one of the classic Halo themes. So you've got like the the bassy theme of the villain, and then you've got a classic Halo theme on top combined. Because this is a call-out in this monologue, it's a call-out to Chief. And I'm like, well, what would be better than to combine these two themes into one piece of music? That's been the real fun of like exploring the Halo, Halo music and all of its history. And then like, what can we do to, to bring that you know into Halo Infinite? What can I do to make it feel new? And then the most fun part is like, mm, how can we combine it to make something like really interesting and, and weaves together.
0: I love that too. Cause you get, you get that familiarity, uh, but then you're also able to take it then into a new direction and continue to tell that story, uh, you know, uh, audibly, uh, but using, you know, these, these pieces that people are familiar with and, yep. and they can connect with, uh, I think is fantastic. Gareth, Again, thank you so much uh, for being on the
2: show. We really appeach I mean, we literally could stay here for hours and talking I know. to you about the time's flying <laughs> by. Uh, yeah. I, hope I, I hope I didn't get carried away. I hope people are still listening. If you've if you've listened to, if you've listened to my voice this much. I know I have my faint British accent still, so that might make it more amenable. Um, (laughs) I haven't completely lost my British accent. That's that's totally what we're here for. Twelve years. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but yes, thank thank you for uh, indulging my lengthy answers. But I I hope they're informative because there's probably some stuff here that people don't really know. Um, Because there's a lot that going into. I think a lot of people think that the composer sits in their ivory tower and the (laughs) the soundtrack appears, but there's there's seriously so much thought that goes into it especially in the soundtracks that we really love and remember hopefully I gave a little bit of insight into that
0: no, absolutely. I, I I know that personally. I, I learned a ton as far as just the process and and what you guys are going through, and just being able to get into the mind of of being able to. You're not just creating a soundtrack, but it it, it helps to drive the story, and it it fleshes that you know that that connection uh between the game and the gamer. I feel uh you know the music is such a, a important part of that um so thank you thank you again uh for coming on and and enlightening us and and talking to us we're looking forward to being able to play some halo infinite and 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 all the work that you've got in the future as well
2: can i ask one question of both of you before we Absolutely. sign off um and you uh don't include my soundtracks on this what are your favorite soundtracks you don't have to pick one just pick a couple that come to mind i'm curious
0: are we talking games or or games or games? Okay, Lucas, if you want to go first? <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> for For the record, I would include Ori, but since you told me Thank not you. to, I'm just I'm just not gonna <laughs> include it. Um, I really like Journey's soundtrack by uh, Austin. Yep. Um, I think that the 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 build up to to that to the ending is just so emotional and and so just satisfying. Um, And that whole game as an experience is just so satisfying. So that's right up there. Um, I do... See, The Last of Us is probably one of my favorite games in general. So like I would include the soundtrack as as contributing to that. But I'll say this too, the <laughs> way back to like the Game Boy Pokemon games. Like I still listen to some of those tunes to some of those towns uh just in the background while I work. So that's also been a soundtrack uh that's that's stuck with me. But but Journey is 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 maybe my favorite. Journey is an all
2: timer.
0: Yeah, for me I'd ha- I'd have to say uh Legend of Zelda the series and and yep. there's just so many different derivatives of it. I mean, so many different adventures, but you always have that that there's that theme, that main theme that is just so iconic and, and it, it really, you know, again, it it has such an effect uh, on me. I could hear it in an instant or somewhere in the background and I'll know exactly where it is. And then I have to say one of my, one of my favorite uh, uh, soundtracks uh, film-wise I'd have to say is probably Inception. Inception. I love Hans Zimmer, uh, Zimmerman, um, the absolutely, absolutely stellar work. Uh, that he does, I'd have to say that, and I would say the leftovers. Um, HBO, it was an it's HBO choice. series, and I think that was Hans Zimmer. Was it Hans Zimmerman as well
2: that so, did that? I'm not sure who did the leftovers, but um, I'd have to look it up. Um, yeah, he doesn't do much TV, so it might not right. Be, but...
0: What? Yeah, I'll have to look at that. But yeah, I love, I love, I love what he does. What were some of your favorite gaming soundtracks?
2: So um, the the first. Soundtrack that got my attention is the original Final Fantasy VII. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty that's a pretty safe choice. Uh-huh. Um, I actually haven't played remake because uh, I kind of don't want Ooh. to because it's like I think I'm just gonna wait until remake's done, um, like ah, part two right. and three and four, uh, so I can just right. blitz it all in one go. Um, and also, it'll be even. It's Final Fantasy VII is one of my most sacred sacred childhood memories, um, mm-hmm. and I am not sure I can get past the. Voice acting, which I don't think is for everyone, um, because I have my own idea of what all those voices sound like. Right, but I right. think for people who are new to Final Fantasy VII, I, it's probably like the best thing ever. So, um, yeah, so Final Fantasy VII's original soundtrack um, from more recent years, and it's this isn't really a soundtrack that you would listen to outside of the game, but I choose this one because of how effective it was. This game uh, is my game of the last decade. Um, because of how emotional uh, it was and how deeply and profoundly it affected me. Like, when I reached the end credits of this game, I was literally frozen in my chair um, for, like, 10 minutes with my, like, mouth to the floor. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're, like, so curious about what I'm going to say right now. Um, And uh, that game is Hellblade Senua's Silent Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Right, so that, that whole game, and if you haven't played it, I strongly encourage you to play it because you can probably finish it in a weekend. It's, it's probably going to take most players between six to nine hours to play, probably not much more. Um, right. And honestly, you could probably pick it, you can probably find it for almost nothing now. Um, and that whole game, most of the music is fairly ambient, but like it's so fitting for the environment, but like it also matches the gameplay absolutely perfectly, especially for the combat stuff, but it all builds this ending, and there's a moment at the end where a music track drops. And if you listen to it in isolation, you'd think this is so inappropriate. Like, why would you play this here? Um, <laughs> but for context, this is basically a game that's themed loosely around Norse mythology. And then at the end, you have a track with a four on the floor beat. And you're like, huh? Like, why? But the thing is, when it plays, have both of you played this game? I have. Okay, I have but, not. It's all. It's it's in okay. my backlog. Um. So, so obviously, uh, one of you knows what I'm <laughs> talking about. Uh, but there's <laughs> the moment. There's this, this, this track drops, and that moment, I've never ever felt that feeling and that like sense of empowerment in a game before that I felt in that moment. I truly cannot explain it. And then with how the game ends it is one of the most shocking and affecting turnarounds. And it's, it's not just the music. It is literally how everything comes together. The way the game wraps up. I I mean, my jaw, my jaw truly was on the floor and I've introduced this game to so many people um, because I've raved about like how the game, you know, closes its final act. Um, So hopefully, hopefully you'll now it too um so it, it, it truly is a profound experience um the other i'll do one more soundtrack um that um, is an old timer and a classic is also another like founding part of my um uh gaming experience is the original deus x because uh, mm. uh, i love the sci-fi and cyberpunk genre um and that's like the original the og i think You're um right. so um, and it has, you know, I can still recall the bum, but bum, bum, <laughs> bum, bum, bum Like, that's a classic theme. And that's, like, you know, it's over 20 years old. I think it's, like, 20, 23, 24 years old. Uh, I'm really disappointed that they're not currently making a new Deus Ex. Uh, I feel like they can make Deus Exes forever, but apparently the last ones didn't sell well, which just makes me judge the gaming crowd for not having better taste. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, hopefully one day we'll get another one. Uh, And then, of course, the Assassin's Creed soundtracks. Assassin's Creed 2 being my favorite um, of the entire series. Um, So, yeah, those are are some of my favorites.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, that is uh, some... It's crazy just uh, how much... uh, the music really has such a lasting impact on people, uh, from games and and films to that extent as well. So, uh, anyway, Garrett, again, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it.
2: No problem. Thank you.
0: Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? Not much. I am finishing up a game called
1: The Forgotten City, which nice. uh, is a, a mystery game, and it, it's it's uh, it's a shorter experience. So if you're short on time, like I usually am, uh, I think you'll mm. enjoy it. It's pretty intriguing so far, and uh, it's it's one of those games where dialogue is very important. Uh, so I, right up my alley, and then <laughs> uh, has been the theme since it's been released. Uh, chugging through uh, Legendary Edition Mass Effect, which uh, I'm nice. just I'm just a slow gamer, so this is why it always takes me forever. But oh, it, it's glorious! Still, it's still glorious. What about yourself? Where Ryan? where are you up to? So so we so my girlfriend has not played any of them, so we've been taking our time, uh, and I've been letting her really dive into like all the dialogue options uh, through mm-hmm. the game. So I, I'm I'm more letting her drive the experience, and I'm kind of just. Sitting back and experiencing again with her, um, but I, I'm a, uh, I'm more, I'm, I'm most curious to play three again, just because I think that's the one, obviously that, that a lot of opinions split, uh, so I'm kind of curious how that will be coming back to it with the benefit of uh, time since its initial release. Nice.
0: Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I still need to, I just finished up uh, the first one uh, here a few weeks back. So I didn't realize when I first went through that, that I had gotten to a point where I couldn't go back and do side quests. Luckily I saved it. So I'm gonna go back, finish up the rest of the side quests and then go through and beat it again. So I can move on to the second one. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I've been playing um, Tribes of Midgard, um, which I'm having a blast playing. It. It's it's hard. It's challenging. It's a different uh, type of game. It almost reminds me of like a, uh, uh, Asgardian Don't Starve uh, almost kind of. So like that was, I've been having a lot of fun. One of my buddies got it, you know, that, that game, you can have up to 10 players, uh, uh, playing in a lobby and stuff like that as well, which is really cool. Uh, so yeah, probably doing that, you know, I'm on my destiny grind, uh, as well. So we should be finishing up, uh, metal gear solid five, uh, here within the next couple of weeks. So, and then of course, baby Baby Watch. watch, we're just waiting for baby to get here. Baby watch 2021. So, uh, anyway thank you guys again so much for joining us don't forget uh, hit us up on the tweeters at Pods at lucasegan or at smitty2447 uh, we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week and you already know what it is but I'm going to say it anyway we love your faces <laughs>